0: Before we start the podcast, I'm putting forward a little warning. If you're sensitive to profanity, then perhaps you should give this episode a miss. Otherwise, enjoy.
1: It's hard to know anymore what's the important story in the sense that every day it gets the same volume, but it's a new story. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to pay attention to? Where's the people that you promised us? Media, you were going to go find again once you realize we didn't cover the people properly.
0: With this endless news cycle of left and right, black and white, what's up, what's down, it's easy to forget what we're supposed to be doing as journalists. I'm Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism. On the phone with me today is Charlie LaDuff, an American journalist, writer, and media personality. He is best known as a contributor to the 2001 Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times series, How Race is Lived in America. He also is the author of a really great book that I just finished reading, Shit Show, The Country's Collapsing, and the Ratings Are Great. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, my friend.
0: Okay, well, first of all, now, are you at American Coney Island right now, or?
1: You mean the, the diner where I yeah, work? Or, yeah, or is that, that's,
0: yeah. okay, cool. While you were working at this restaurant, you were writing this this book. Tell me a little bit about the book.
1: Well, the book starts in 2013. I'm in Roger Ailes' office, the man that invented Fox News. You know, the, he figured he creates some bullshit right-wing news because there was a huge audience tired of decades of bullshit left-wing news. And uh, mm-hmm. I was working for the local affiliate here in Detroit. I had written a book called Detroit and an American Autopsy where I posit the question, is Detroit an outlier? Or is it the epicenter of the American way of life? You know, Detroit pretty much created the middle class. It was the richest city, et cetera, et cetera. And it collapsed. So what's going on in the country? Wanted to take our camera and, and take a look at real people, not issues. We didn't want to write college papers as articles for the newspaper. We wanted to do something entertaining, amusing, emotional, and true. And so there we went. We went to the Texas border. From the Texas border with the women and children coming over, you look over the Rio and you see shiny new factories. And then you realize those factories came from Flint. And then you go to Flint where there are no factories hardly anymore. And you realize um, everybody's mixing the water with Kool-Aid because it tastes so bad. And then you find out, well, the water's poisoned because a couple contractors, a couple politicians, a couple trade unions want to make some money. And then... You go over there to Detroit, to Baltimore, to the campaign trail with Trump, a carpooling with the Grand Dragon from the Ku Klux Klan, the the Bundy Ranch, the Oregon takeover. We were everywhere. And, um, you know, it's kind of a bouncy rock and roll look at it, but I I think it's smart. It gives you history where you're not being lectured to or you're going to fall asleep in your bed. And I think we captured not a moment, but an epical moment in American life.
0: And I would agree with that. I I was really, really enjoyed reading the book. I like the perspective that you were in the trenches, that you weren't particularly surprised about the election results from 2016, because, you know, you were talking to a lot of different people, you were seeing a lot of different things going on in America, a narrative that may not have surfaced elsewhere.
1: I don't know why. That's what we're supposed yeah. to do. You're supposed to uh, understand the depths of the pain and the discontent. And if you, you didn't realize it, well, all you had to do was look back at Obama, right? right. He, in a, in a way, ran the same campaign as Trump did, maybe more, mm, let's say, <laughs> art, you know, not, not articulate, but refined. But he was running against the same person and his message was it's a corrupt elite establishment that's really not doing much for you. And Trump ran against the same person and in his own bellicose way, did the same thing. And if you just look at numbers, nine million white people that voted for Obama went for Trump and four million black people that voted for Obama saw nothing good and stayed home and that thirteen million, a good portion of that's the rust belt that delivered it. So, you know, ignore regular people and their daily lives at your own risk media.
0: Yeah, you know, I like the fact and you sort of alluded to it. You you really were kind of everywhere during that that period, not the election, not just the election, but before the election, you know, going going to the border, going to Ferguson and sort of taking the pulse of of what was going on in America. You know, was that what you set out to do or was this just sort of something that developed?
1: That's what we set out to do. What is going on in America? And you know, I mean the way we did it, look, I want to have a little bit of the daring do and a little bit of fun, dare I say. So when we're at the border and the women and children are being, you know, smuggled in by jet ski, jet ski. Think about this. Many years ago, I crossed the border with a group of Mexicans, you know, coming to the United States, took three days walking through the desert. Now we're doing jet skis. Amazing. So I'm, I'm watching the stories and reading about the stories from the border, but I, I have actually never saw the border. So what do we do? I put on a Speedo with USA tattooed across the ass. I blow up a yellow rubber kayak, put on a straw hat, and I'm paddling around in the smuggling route just to – like a tourist, just to fuck with them, just to see what kind of reaction I'm going to elicit. And um, it's almost – Absurdity. In fact, it was absurdity. The whole thing's absurd, and that was the way we approached it to get into the, you know, the nitty gritty, the law, the what, what, the, what the Mexican government's doing, what NAFTA was all about. But, you know, in this new era, there's two rules. Number one, get it right. It cannot be supplanted by anything. It's the cardinal rule. But number two, you must be interesting because there's so much static and noise out there. You know, you have to. Carve out a space for yourself, and you know the the, the videos and, and the and the writings we were doing were really really quite popular.
0: Right. You you began. You know, we say you say you started out in Ailes' office. You were actually supplying content not so much for Fox News, but for the the Fox affiliates. Is that right?
1: Yes, where the regular people reside. You know, not the partisans. Just you know, mom and pa. You know, just have the TV on dinners there. We just wanted to talk to not in a nonpartisan way you know to everyday america about their lives we were communicating with my family my my actual family probably your actual family mm-hmm. you know and we want our stuff to be talked about around the dinner table and you know like you know on reddit and independent journal review and vice you know we we, we this is the audit we wanted everybody i don't i don't care where you reside world star hip hop you know what i mean so i'm just looking to talk to my fellow Americans. I'm not really looking for the, you know, elite media set. I spent a lot of years in that. And, uh, you know, there's a reason what I do with my life. I just wanted to go someplace else. And to me, like when Trump does arrive on the scene and I don't know where he got that because he lives in a, you know, a brass penthouse on Fifth Avenue where he understood it. But I knew what he was doing. It was like he was creating a shit show. And he did, and you know he did, and everybody listening knows he did. He played the media like like a fiddle. They loved his bombacity, his his you know his massaging of the truth, he, his put downs, because it was ratings, and it was it was fresh, it it was new to the most boring reality show of them all, which is the endless political cycle for the presidential election, the whole run-up. So I knew what he was doing. So about two, three weeks into it, I stood up at a press conference and said, uh, you know, I think he could win. And he <laughs> thought I was the greatest thing. He, he swelled like a thirsty sponge, I think I wrote. And then I said, but I don't think you're saying that right. You know, you don't want to start a race war here. So one, I, I brought my resume, you know, trying to get a couple minutes in your car. And if you're thinking about vice presidential material <laughs> and he says, what well, you want to be vice president? I said, yeah, sure. Why not? To which everybody laughs. It's the only time I heard right. you know, Trump in the media laugh. And the point is he was just a prop in what we were doing because what we were doing was trying to bring America to Americans. And if he's there, that's great for ratings because it's absurdist. Hey, I want to be vice president, but I control the edit. And after he said the guy used to have credibility, where'd he come from? You cut the, you know, the tape, and then you say, I come from Detroit. And I've been across this great country of ours for decades now, and here's what we know. And then you start to show things like in America, we don't hate women and children looking for a better life, but we're worried about our own children's future first. What do we do with them? That's a fair thing to ask. That's what Americans do ask, and it's not really ever presented unless you know they're uh, a racist horde or something, but that's black That's white. And for God's sake, that's brown people. 30% of Latinos voted for Trump. So the real issue here is Americans are worried for their children. Americans are pretty tough people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They'll they'll, they'll get on with it. They'll they'll, they'll make a life. But what kind of future do we leave our kids? And once you grasp that, then you are seen as nonpartisan. And quite frankly, when facts don't match up with what people believe, you got to tell them. You know, you're not pandering. No way, no how, never. Right. And yeah. I hope that's what you got in the book.
0: Yeah. And one of the things you said just before is, I mean, the rule number one is, is get it right. Always. I, I, always to get it right. Because I don't, that only, you know, bolsters whatever, whatever the message is that you're pr- trying to bring, the news that you're it's trying not, to bring. Not
1: to interrupt you, I'm sorry because no, I blow up your train of thought, but, you know, reporters are human beings. They do get things wrong. Or they get them half right, right, or it's superficial. So you remember in high school like somebody that was superficial, you'd call them fake, right? Right? Remember? OK. Well, it's not fake news, superficial news. That's the thing. You know We want something in depth, but that we can consume. So if you don't endeavor, at least endeavor, to get it right, then the people will never come back to you again. If they know they're being BSed, they will never return to you. And so that that must always be the rule of your credibility. Yeah. And I've gotten things wrong in my life, and I admit that. And I'm just a human.
0: Right. Now, I tell you, you know, when I was reading your, your, your sections in, in your book about, about going down to the border, crossing to Mexico, you know, sort of talking about what was going on, you know, the American factories there, the difficulty you know, with the border law and how they're able to sort of enforce things and how things are all kind of screwed up. And I felt, you know, I got to be honest, there was a moment in there I felt a degree of like helplessness. You know, how can we solve this? How can we address this problem when, you know, everybody's coming at it from a hundred different angles, it's factionalized, you know, you know, right versus left, you know, it's, it's people blaming each other back, back and forth but you know at the center of it you know you 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 know focused on the human aspect of it you know the the people who came across the border or you know the people who were who were losing their jobs in flint because there are factories that are showing up in mexico is that really kind of what your sweet spot is you know we we've got to tell that human story because maybe that has that has a way to change things
1: yes i think so and i hope you think so because yeah. ultimately, ultimately all the issues reflect the human condition This is about human beings. You know, this isn't about legislation and votes and neckties and pan makeup and cleat lights and ratings. This is about our lives. And, you know, I can find in my life no better calling than to document lives, you know, to show how these big pieces of legislation or no action on legislation affects people, so I do love the little boy who's come up from Guatemala, and he runs away because he's afraid. think of it. he's a boy. See I'm a little bit emotional about. It. I think of this boy, Domingo, and he runs away because he's afraid of these you know I don 't know who they were, I won 't call them gangsters, but a lot of them are. And then they beat the hell out of him. They beat the hell out of the kid. And then he comes here and he's, you know, he's thrown in a pen. He doesn't know what's going on. He's thrown in holding and then he's released. And then there's tons of cameras. There's protesters. There's people that are hugging him. He doesn't know who they are. Imagine this boy's first recollections of life here because he's here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I gave him some money, get some ice cream when he got to L.A. because I want him to know that we're good people. Yeah. That, you know, that he's. You know, I told him. You know, like be a good boy. Good boys grow up the good men. Bad boys grow up to be bad men. Right? We want good men in this country. Good women. So, you know, at, at the same time, you know, I, I know these smugglers. I, I know, I know what they do, and you know, I, I know what Mara Salvatrucha is. I know them well. Yeah, man, they're vicious guys. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I, I turn off the shit show. I don't have cable. So I don't I don't even know exactly what it is the president supposedly said about Mara Salvatrucha and immigrants and all that. But what I'm trying to do is, yeah, these smuggling guys, man, these are some bad MFers. And these little boys and his mom, they're good people. Right. See, and that's the thing. I don't want to get into the easy. He said, let's blow it up and scream at each other for a couple of days till we find the next thing. Like, where's Melania or why she's wearing high heels or the serious stuff like did Trump walk himself into an obstruction charge? You know, I mean, it's hard to know anymore. What's the important story in the sense that every day it gets the same volume, but it's a new story. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to pay attention to? Where's the people that you promised us media? You were gonna go find again once you realize we didn't cover the people properly.
0: It's weird because I, you know, I remember a time, and maybe this is just before before cable news came along, where you would have the, you know, the. God, how old are you? Yeah. Oh well, I'm I'm old. I, well, I'm four <laughs> years older than you, sir. That's how old I am. <laughs> So yeah, we're too old. We're all two old men just talking about, about about what's wrong with America. But yeah, we're still young and vigorous. We're, we let's go. call
1: ourselves wise. All there
0: right? we go. Why? There you go. There you go. Nice spin. Um, Thank you. <laughs> the, the, the point I was going to make was that you know I can remember a time when that the the dogfight, the, you know, the the he said, she said sort of battle was really kind of in election season. But now it's it's like every time. It's everything. everything. Everybody has to, you know, once something breaks, it's like, well, what's my side's reaction to it? Or, you know, I've got to anticipate my side's reaction to it. And so suddenly it's everybody factions off into different sides. And it, and it certainly, I think media has a lot to, having done that, that create this, this environment. And it makes it difficult for you know, these smaller stories, I say smaller, but in many ways they're bigger because they, they're they the real stories to really kind of come to the center stage.
1: Yeah, that's just true. You know, I was just thinking as you're speaking, I'm like, you know, it's a journalism podcast, so let, I guess we're going to okay. focus on that. But I want everybody to know, you know, journalism and, and my look at it and my thoughts about it is a a part of the book and it's a serious part of the book, but you know, it's not a journalism book. It's a book about America, but having said that you're right. And I'm reminded that, you know, 60% of America is an independent. It all depends on the issue. Doesn't it? Right. It really does. But that's not nuanced. I mean, that is nuanced and it doesn't just fit into, okay, wind it up and go. Right. Right. Let's yell. But remember, when Now I'm talking specifically TV news, like uh, Walter Cronkite, Most Trusted Man in America, Yeah. right? Back to that beautiful day they tell us about. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know, Walter, where were you for a decade when Vietnam was raging? And it took you to, what, 1968 to pronounce it a waste. But in a way, you were promoting it. You yeah. promoted all that, and you waited for the newspapers to tell you. And then you went over and took a look and went, whoa, man, shit, it's that Offensive. Man, it's, pr- it's pretty bad. So I don't know if, I've, if I ever believe of some golden age. The golden age is what each one of us decides we want to make of it. And if everybody's going to tribe up, just remember, the biggest tribe is in the middle. And the biggest portion of the electorate is white women. They are 40% of all voters, more or less. Okay? So when you're talking about the base, the country goes as white women go. And yeah. I think white women win Trump, did they not?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I Hmm. I think so, too. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Why were they going that way? Let's go find out. Maybe it's they're sick of establishment politics. You know, a lot of them, what is it, 43, 44 percent of white people voted Obama. So when I'm getting the, the tribal thing on TV, no, 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 no. It's not some great white horde, right? Some racist white horde. It's people dissatisfied with the establishment.
0: That's what you see. So, what got you into journalism? What was it that that drove you to go down this path?
1: It's finished can't, can't be, college.
0: Finished college. Can't be the money because I know that. That's.
1: <laughs> well, you know what, what happened was you know after college I went around the world. You know I worked in Australia and Denmark and you know went through Asia and Russia and and a couple of years later we're. All meeting up in New York, having a party, and a buddy of mine simply said, uh, I'm going to uh, grad school for journalism. Now, you know, I'm not a rube, but I didn't really know there was such a thing. And as a young guy traveling the world, to do, you know, you write stories and poetry and you keep your journals. And, and I said to myself, I got something to say. I was able to circumnavigate the globe by myself, and uh, that sounds really interesting. So I applied for grad school. And I was up in Alaska living in a treehouse when I got my acceptance letter in Detroit. So I missed, you know, that class. And they kindly, University of Cal uh, at Berkeley, let me in the next year. And I made the decision quite early because I'm like, oh, these are really smart people. They get a really nice class of people. I said, I'm gonna have to write what's in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to do it that way because that's the only way I can do it. And I and I I think that might be of value and interesting to people. And I went through that program and I got one offer for an internship and one only. I couldn't get, I couldn't get an internship. So one little podunk paper called me up and offered me a summer internship. And that podunk paper was the New York times. (laughs) Yes, sir. Luck counts too. And off we go. And now I'm on the phone with you.
0: Yeah. What a weird, strange trip.
1: It is. (laughs) What a fantastical thing. Life is what a journey. Yeah. Never be afraid Never be afraid to take the journey.
0: No. You never know where it's going to end or, or where it's going to continue. You know, we all know where it's going to end. We're all going to end in the grave. But it's the trip that makes it, makes it I don't interesting. I know about you, bro,
1: but I'm going to heaven. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. i well, I hope so. i got my fingers crossed.
0: I don't, know. I don't know how many journalists there are in heaven, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. But let me ask you this. I mean, you obviously have blazed a different trail than what most people, when they talk about being a journalist— in their career path, you know, what would you say to somebody who said, you know, maybe not what they should do, but what's worked for you?
1: Stick to your guns. You know, look, I mean, I I do it my way, right? That's the beautiful thing about writing. It's so democratic. It's the most democratic art there is. You know, nearly everybody's taught how to do it and everybody has some facility for it. Do what you do. So, you know, those that cover the Pentagon or, or the White House or those that write, you know, um, more intellectually, you know, the, God bless you. There are very brave people that cover, you know, foreign lands. They're quite quite excellent. Me, I've just decided that my interest and in the majority of what I will do is America, you know, this Rome. I want to be an expert here. I, I just love being around people. I, I love it. I will kill myself doing it. You know, I mean, this is my place. This is our time. And uh, my advice is do what's of interest to you and do it at a high level and take your work home and do some more and work for free and work really hard and know the background of what you're talking about. Read the spreadsheets, you know, read the executive summaries, read the budgets, read the change orders, make calls, make it your life because if you don't feel it as a way of life. It's not for you.
0: Yeah, I agree 100. percent You know, there are people who view journalism as a calling, and I think that's uh, something that, that people don't always understand. They just figure, oh, you just you're just making shit up and and publishing it. But that's you know, the good journalists that I know don't do that, and they do put they do put the time in to oh, yeah. to know a story. So, tell me about Detroit. You know, you, Detroit is is so much in in your writing. You know, obviously, you know this is where you live. You know, what is it? That you touched on at the very beginning, you know, maybe this is the, you know, the precursor to what America is. What is it about Detroit, the spirit of Detroit, that that kind of appeals to you?
1: Well, it's my home. It's my home, and this is where I I learned everything. Not everything, but this is this is my base, and so I do look at it through this lens. And I think it's important to let the reader or the audience know that. See, people will say, you know, when I get the Hunter Thompson comparison, yeah, I put myself in the story, but no one's ever asked me why. And it's not a a cheap device. I feel that when the narrator is talking to you, he shouldn't be a, a ghost. He shouldn't be a vapor from on high, right? I am the filter here, so I might as well level with you. I might as well show you what I'm doing what I'm thinking in my process that way you can judge better because nothing is objective in the human experience everything is subjective numbers are even spun you know what I mean I think people when you do that if you're honest about it people will factor that in and at least consider what's in front of them for a longer time when you try to hide it then they start to say superficial news fake news partisan news so I can write in the third person, but nevertheless, you're going to get a, a point of view, kind of like the new journalism. That's the way I go about it, and that all comes back to Detroit. It has to, because I learned to write here, I learned to read here, I learned to think critically here. And this is where my family is, and I returned home to raise—you know, I quit L.A. I was in the New York Times uh, L.A. bureau. And in fact, my last job was roving national correspondent. I went wherever I wanted, but I had a— one-year-old girl, my only child. And I I said, where's she going to be from? And no disrespect to LA because I love it. I love it dearly. But she needs to be from someplace. She needs some family. She needs some grandmothering. She needs cousins. And so this is where I'm from. And this is where she's going to be from
0: you said at the beginning of that, 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 you know, people might, you might not know why you're in there, but to me, it was very evident why you're a part of your stories. Your presence is part of your voice. And, And you kind of touch on that, that the fact that you're all in with the story that you're covering, you know, your interaction with the people helps to sort of ground what you're covering. And so you being there is kind of important to the way you write. So, I mean, that's what I I really took away from. And and before we started, I was, you know, I was the guy who compared you to Hunter Thompson, you know, his campaign coverage. There's a lot of that in this book. Not the goofy, you know, drugged out Hunter Thompson, but the Hunter Thompson who was a critical thinker, who could see that there were many sides to a problem, who didn't let anybody off the hook. Because we're all kind of in this together and we're all kind of to blame for what's going on here.
1: I think so. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about fear and loathing on the campaign trail? Yeah. That's, I think, his masterpiece, quite frankly.
0: Yeah. It's a shame that so many people think of him in these sort of cartoon turns, but forget what a really good journalist he was.
1: That's true. And, you know, I mean, it's. I don't mind the comparison, you know, because he's somebody of note, right? And he's, yeah. he's well, thank you very much for even considering no, 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 me no. to be anything here. But you know what I mean? But he and I are different. I try to be a little more, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. They'll you leave know, it at I, that. You got, God bless the guy.
0: Yeah, you know? you're, you're not. You're back. A, uh, you're not. Your he's back, a titan. He's a titan. There you are. You but I love up. Gay
1: Talese and and Joan Didion and Tom Wolfe. You know those guys. Clay Felker was a mentor of mine. You know the the editor of all that. The editor of the New Journalism. You know. Yeah. So I'm definitely out of that school.
0: Yeah, and and that's why I would really highly recommend this book because it, it's sort of uh, it's a refreshing, different take on on you know. The way to cover the news, the way to cover a a big story or many big stories. Um, Can I put that in the
1: back of the uh, paperback? Feel free. Because, you know, it's a refreshing, different take. Think about that. That's really huge, and I thank you for it. Refreshing. I'll take that any day of the week, man. I'm just a guy from Detroit. And a new take. So it's worth your while. Yeah. That's no, cool. Thank you.
0: No, yeah, feel free. Feel free. Feel free. Yeah, no, actually, uh, let me let me punch that up a little bit cuz I, I didn't use the right word. No, I I'm saying this because I want people to to buy your book to read your book because I thought, you know, it's for me, you know, you know, paying attention to all of the the pull push and pull of of what's going on in in the news industry today, it's so easy to forget what we're supposed to be doing. Telling the the small story, which is really the big story, and so you do that really well. Uh, you do it in a very entertaining fashion as well, so that that makes it a pleasant read. It's not it's not homework, <laughs> so I, nice. guess, I guess I guess I put that on the back here. But it's not homework, okay? Yeah. Or how
1: about this? You know, you you can read this while taking a dump.
0: There we go. <laughs> There we go. I I may not have gone there, but um, I, I see. But you know, I other. look. It has I la- tell
1: people that you know s- because I, I want cops and firefighters and construction people and housewives and house husbands. Look, man, this is not brain surgery. This isn't a hard read. This is. It's you know, it's got a meter to it, and the chapters are short, and you can pick it up and put it down in your very very busy life.
0: Okay, so we're, not not, to, not even to address the laxative qualities of your, of your prose. <laughs> so, I never thought of that. So there you go. Okay. I, I don't think we can improve on that, so I'm going to draw this to a conclusion. Uh, once again, what's the name of your book?
1: Shit Show, The Country's Collapsing, and the Ratings Are Great.
0: Excellent. Thanks for coming on, on the podcast, Charlie.
1: Really my pleasure.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. Hey, Mike, where's this special project that you promised us? We're working on it. For those of you who have not heard, have not saw on social media, or uh, are not one of the people who receive our weekly newsletter, please sign up for our weekly newsletter at itsalljournalism.com. Anyway... The special project was that I was in Tajikistan at the invitation of the United States State Department. I was there for nine days teaching young journalists how to podcast. So as you can imagine, it was pretty uh, amazing experience. Next week's podcast is going to be dedicated to that. I will tell you at this point that it was a life-changing experience for me, both professionally and personally. So be sure to download next week's podcast to get all the details on that and keep following our podcast. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.
1: What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We
0: share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy bureaucratic politics-only reputation it tries to shed.
1: The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, onecom or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Finish the Game Podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Ball play to Sean across the 10 to five touchdown Seahawks. Hey, this is Sean
0: Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss
1: sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcast1.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.